You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas Advent series. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and then turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament book that we're going to have a few passages we're actually going to read from as we start our Advent series. Uh, and Isaiah is right by big books of the Old Testament like Jeremiah or uh, Ezekiel. It's, it's a pretty long 60-chapter book. So uh, Isaiah and Matthew is where we find ourselves. Tonight, we're starting an Advent series, Christmas series. Uh, and as we start this Advent series, we as a church want to bring your attention to Jesus in this busy time. This is why you get a bulletin for December and still November. Because we all know that there's a lot of stuff going on. We're taking a break from community groups even because there are parties, there's celebrations, there's uh, family, different uh, things that you guys should be doing, taking your wives on dates. That's what I plan on doing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we love Christmas, and there's a lot of stuff going on. But as a people, we want to make sure that we prepare our hearts and make sure that the reason why we celebrate Christmas is not just for gifts or a Christmas tree or decorations or tradition, but we put Jesus at the center of everything. That's really the mission of our church, to pursue and proclaim Jesus. And we want to do that in this season. So it's good for us to have a series, take a little bit of a break from Exodus, start looking at the Christmas story, because Jesus was born as a man. And what does that even mean to us, the implications? John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there are so many implications of this good news and Scripture highlights this specific story as a special event, and it's good for us to take time to study it, to know it, to understand it. This is culturally a great evangelism tool because most people know about Christmas. They don't know the reason why we celebrate Christmas, though. And we need to understand that we've been sent on this earth to make disciples and to explain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can connect Christmas to Jesus in a very natural, easy way as we're gathering with our family, with our friends. And it just seems culturally, because they're practicing morality, the morals of the Bible, there's just a little bit more joy, a little bit more magic, a little bit more sparkle during Christmas. Is it, is it just you or is it me, right? Don't you love, like, we already have the Christmas tree up, sang the Christmas songs. It's, we're ready. We, we, we love it. But because those dots are connected for us, and so what we want to do as a church is connect those dots for you and uh, look at this story together. And so we're looking at Advent. Advent theologically literally means just the coming. It means the coming. But if you look at a definition of what Advent means, I wrote it down for you guys to sort of think about why this is so important. It's the arrival of a notable person, a thing, or an event. Advent literally means the uh, uh, arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And I think it's important for us to make a big deal of the biblical Christmas story and say it's notable. It's important. It's telling us about a notable person, how Jesus came. And usually holidays can get so busy that we can actually forget Christ and he could slip in the, the back burner, in a sense, in our minds. And so this is why we're doing a series. We want, as a church, to take time to think about Christ. Uh, I want to give you guys a plug and a gift as we start our Christmas holiday season. Right here, I have uh, God's Plan for Christmas. It's a sort of like a, a magazine that you put on your coffee table, keepsake, art piece, but it's written by my wife. She wrote this a couple uh, years ago, and it talks about, it has a daily devotion, an Advent devotional uh, for 
every single day of December. So many of you guys, I think she wrote in 2018, you may have this book. If you don't have this book, I have about 11 there in the back. I want you to free take one. Uh, she usually sells them for 20 bucks, but they're free for you because we love you guys, okay? So if you guys want one of these books, feel free there in the back to grab one. And it will also help you daily to think through the Christmas story with certain characters, certain themes, and just to look to Scripture. As culturally we're looking at all these movies and festas, we need to look to Scripture. And so in this Advent series, the theme that I want to uh, sort of look at are key characters in the story. Key characters in the story. Tonight, we're going to look at the prophets and what they teach us and how they tell us about who God is and just how um, God is sovereign, has a plan. He wants to tell us who he is. Next week, we'll look at angels, the angels. And I want to sort of give you a systematic theology of angels and just share what the Bible talks about them, how we have a a different view uh, culturally of what the Bible actually says, what angels are and what they teach us about this story. Uh, There's shepherds in this story. You may know that from Luke chapter 2. We'll look at the shepherds, how they represent people and people like us, like whether it be Simeon or the wise men, shepherds, how these characters are actually in the story for a reason so that we could learn something from them. We, of course, have Joseph and Mary, uh, Jesus' parents, and then on Christmas night, is sort of special this year, Christmas is a Sunday, so we're still going to have a Sunday night service. We'll have a little bit of a shorter service, some more all carols, uh, devotional, and that theme will be on Jesus as we look through the story. And so we're going to continue to read all of the sections of Scripture, Matthew, um, Luke, John, they all focus on different aspects of the story. Tonight we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. So if you have a Bible, we'll read that together. And then I want to read you one verse from Jesus as well in Matthew 5, 17. And then as we do, we always read Scripture, pray, ask Jesus to come and meet us in a special way. Excited to be here to share. And, uh, you know, I feel a little rusty, but that's okay. It's by God's grace. It's all about Him anyway, speaking through an imperfect man. So it'll be really great. So let's read God's word together, uh, chapter, eight, or chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. And what I want to do, even though we're doing these characters, hopefully as you come, you're going to hear a different passage every week. So it's like different angles of this story. So it necessarily won't be like through expository teaching of all these stories, but you're going to start seeing, oh, wow, these characters are in all these stories. Wow, angels are everywhere. Whoa, whoa these pro-, like you'll start getting it. It says this in Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. If you go a few chapters over, Jesus becomes a man. He has this beautiful sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 17 of that sermon, he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Lord, we thank you that we can take time to process, to even study. It takes time to study. We were just talking about that. There's a difference between reading and studying, and we want to study your word and do a deep dive into these characters, and we want for you to be the focus and just to learn more about you. And so, Jesus, as we come in this Advent season thinking about your first coming, help us to be reminded that you're coming again. Help us to be reminded that you're with us, that we can have our sins forgiven in you, Jesus, that we can know you, that your presence is among us. Help us to make you preeminent and put our minds in the for you in the forefront, to worship you with our minds, even now as we study your word, as we look to your word, as we think through all that you want to say to us tonight. And so speak to everyone here prophetically in a supernatural, crazy, amazing way that you always do. You're faithful to your word and you're faithful to use the gift of teaching, whether it be me, Robin, anyone else, Lord, we know that you use imperfect people to preach your good news. And I pray as in this holiday season, we would have opportunity to multiply the gospel, to see friends and family get saved, to share the word, the things that we're learning, that we even know the story over and over again and study it yearly, but that we would be able to express it and explain it to others. May we have good news and rejoice in that. May that flow from our hearts, out of the abundance of our heart to others, out of our mouths to others, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that we can come here asking these things in your powerful name. And we do that right now, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as I started thinking about the Christmas story, uh, I wanted to highlight prophecy and the prophets to start off with. And in this section of Scripture, verse 22, it just kept on coming to my mind. Uh, Matthew is one of those books that he links the Old Testament to the New Testament in Christ. And in, in verse 22, it kept standing out as I was studying and thinking about the story and how to communicate a character study or certain characters in this story. Matthew says it this way, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. All this took place. What you know is the Christmas story. What you know even is Scripture. It took place because the Lord was behind it. He was sovereign. He wrote it and He communicated with us. And what I want us to understand in this week as we look at the Christmas story is the Christmas story is a very prophetic story. It's a very prophetic story where God miraculously, by His power, uses men to foretell His Son's birth. He lets us know who the Messiah is as we look to this story. So much so that as we start off this passage, Matthew, uh, in verse 18, he says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. It's almost like, hey guys, listen up. I know this is a crazy story. Just hear me out here. I'm going to explain some things. It's real. It took place like this. Yes, the story has a virgin bearing a son. There are some angels appearing in dreams and just singing to shepherds. There's a story in the, about God becoming a man and there's so much more different supernatural elements. Matthew's like, this is how it took place. We need to believe that this is real. It's not a made-up mystical fairy tale or fable that we as Westerners are accustomed to as we celebrate Christmas. And he has to sort of set the pace in that because as you study prophets and prophecy and the gift of prophecy through this story, it is just so unbelievably miraculous. It's so incredible. It should blow our minds every time we read this story that it's actually real, that it actually happened, and it happened in a supernatural way. It's displayed for us in a perfect way, and one of the ways God proves to us that He is God is through 
speaking forth prophecy and using these characters called the prophets. The prophets. Now let's first start with this question. What exactly is prophecy? What exactly is prophecy biblically? Because prophecy is just speaking forth what God says, but think about scripturally and as you study it, most Christians and people believe in the Bible, we see prophecy as the prediction of something to take place in the future. A prophetic message. It's going to be a spoken forth from God, but it actually reveals something in the future. And the Bible is full of prophecy. They actually say a quarter of the Bible, one out of every four verses is prophetic. And there are over about a thousand prophecies in the Bible, and two-thirds of them have already come to pass. Meaning there was an actual person that said, this is going to happen. God gave me this information. This is going to happen. And it took place took place about kingdoms, about Jesus being born, about leadership changes, about simple truths that actually took place. And the remaining prophecies that will be fulfilled that aren't about a third of the prophecies left in the Bible are actually about the end times, the second advent, Jesus returning and coming again for the second time. Now, prophecy affirms to us the truth and trustworthiness of God's word, the Bible, that we can actually see his words come true and they predict many things happening before, like years before they actually take place. We see this throughout the Christmas story and this is why Matthew says, the Lord spoke by the prophet and then he quotes a verse from the Old Testament that says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which we sang about, which means God with us. Why is this important? Because that prophet is Isaiah. That prophet that Matthew talks about is Isaiah. And this passage is actually Matthew quoting Isaiah 7:14. God gave a real man, Isaiah, words from heaven about information of how he would send the son, his son to save the Messiah that they were waiting for. Who would be this Messiah and how would we know? Well, God gave prophecy and we know this because the Messiah would be spoken of years before he came. Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus was alive. First thing, skeptics goes and says, hey, well, that was just made up. You see, they just put the Bible there to sort of think like that. But we actually have what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls where you can actually see Isaiah's word. I've seen them with my own eyes. Scrolls written that are carbon dated hundreds of years before Christ even came. Verses like Isaiah 7.14 or verses like Isaiah 9.16. This is another familiar Christmas passage that you may be familiar with. Isaiah the prophet said this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These words were written while Isaiah was alive, which is about 700 uh, B.C. to 740 B.C., when he had a ministry speaking to the nation of Israel, but also foretelling what God was going to do. And he would prophesy about how the nation would go through hardship and different things like that that actually took place. And these verses are important because they're God revealing to us prophetically about his son Jesus. It shows us that God wants us to know specifically who Jesus is and what his ministry of being a Christ or the Messiah would be like. How we can look to God being in flesh. Fully God, fully man. What does that look like? 
The angel would come from God, Matthew says in this story, and he would give Joseph a message because Joseph would have a hard time, just like you and I would have a hard time, of uh, having your uh, wife or some your fiancé, in a sense, betrothed, being pregnant and not by you. You would be like, okay, so he's going to be putting her to divorce uh, quickly or quietly. I forget which pronunciation. I always get that wrong. Laura, help me out. Quietly. But I'm sure he wanted to do it quickly as well. Quietly because he didn't want to shame her because that would be a disgrace, right? So what does God have to do to convince him? Give another, give another supernatural thing. Don't be afraid that God works in the supernatural. Later on, we read this story when Mary finds out and the angel reminds him, hey, Mary, with, with God, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible. We serve a God of miracles, a God that works in the supernatural. Um, and the angel came to Joseph in the story and said, Mary is going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. Even Joshua is in the Hebrew word. It's God is salvation. Why would he, we call him Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. There was a specific task, a specific reason that this person, Jesus, came the way he did. And prophecy is God proving to us that he is proactively working in humanity. And not just sovereignly, but providentially, he proactively works in your life and in my life today. He works and he has a plan and a purpose and he loves to save us and he desires to save us knowing that we are imperfect or that we, were, we would call in Christianity we're sinners. There's a standard of God's glory and we follow that standard. There's nothing that we can do to ascend to God like most religions. But you know what? God in His grace descends and comes to us. Now, in that book that I referenced earlier that you can have for free written by my wife, she articulated it so well, I just wanted to quote her since I like quoting famous people that have written books. She says, God wanted the world to know who Jesus was. From the time that Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, God began giving his people signs and prophecies about his coming Messiah. From his lineage to his birthplace, the birth of Jesus had been foretold for hundreds of years. God wanted people to know that this was their Savior. Aren't you glad that God not only is powerful and miraculous, but he, he displays that power in a loving way? a simple way. He actually proactively wants us to know him. He cares about us in that way. So when we think about the prophets and prophecy, we should be thinking about God's love, his mercy, his purpose, his plan. This is all encompassed in this section of scripture. And Matthew says, you got to believe it. It's true. It's incredible. And there was this prophet, but there were the prophets. It wasn't just Isaiah. There were more. God would speak truths to people and have them write it down in Scripture, and these are known as the prophets. Men and women that would have a specific sign or a word from the Lord and write it down about something. And there's many Scriptures and signs and prophetic words for not only the Christmas story, story but throughout the Bible. To give you a, a little illustration, as you had your Bibles opened, you know the reference probably in the beginning, the concordance of how to get to a book of the Bible, probably how you found Isaiah. If you look at that, the Old Testament, many of the books of the Bible are actually written after prophets. Prophets that prophesied, that heard from the Lord and spoke. Habakkuk 2.2. Hey, Habakkuk, write that vision down so people can grab it and run with that. Okay? And as I was just looking at just the Old Testament, these are books of the Bible named after prophets. Jeremiah, 
It's a good, it's a good name. I would name my son that or something, you know. <laughs> Ezekiel, Daniel, another solid name. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, um, Zechariah, Malachi. These are all books of the Bible, but they're actually all people that prophesied known as the prophets. And of course, there are many other prophets in Scripture that don't have their own name of the Bible, like, I don't know, Moses, right? The great prophet Moses. There would be other women in the Bible that prophesy that maybe don't have a book of the name of the Bible. But God is a God that desires to speak to us. And through the prophets and his prophetic word, he still speaks to us prophetically through this gift today as we look to Scripture and he gives the Holy Spirit to his body to prophesy and to speak forth truth to us. And this is amazing evidence that we need to wrap our hearts and minds around as we look to the story prophetically, as we look to this Christmas story. Isaiah, the great prophet, says this in Isaiah chapter 46. If you're already in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 46, I have a couple of big sections from Isaiah that I want to read along because I think it's important. This is why we can trust God and who he is. And this is why he says he does this thing called prophecy and works through imperfect people like us to speak forth his truth. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11 says this, For I am God. That's a solid Bible study right there. You are not, he is. There is no one other. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times and things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. This is one of the ways that God, through Isaiah the prophet, said, I am going to use prophecy to prove that I am God to people. It's important for us as Christians, not only in the Christmas story, but as we read all these uh, Old Testament books and have the, look, think about John the Baptist as being a prophet and all these truths that, that man can actually write Scripture and be inspired by God. First, uh, Second Peter talks about that. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 talk about that. We need to be a people that can trust God's Word. And Matthew is just explaining to us, guys, it's real. It took place in this way. What God says goes. And if He says it, you can believe it. You can trust it. You can He's proven it to us, and we blessed when we apply it to our lives. Now, the prophets show us that God has not only worked sovereignly, but he has a providential plan in our own personal lives, not just in the Christmas story, but with us, because he gives the gift of prophecy through his spirit as a spiritual gift as well, that we are to desire the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us. And yes, this angel, we can believe, right? When the angel comes to Joseph in a dream or other angels come, we're like, okay, that's of course of God. It's a supernatural thing. All of the heavenly hosts are saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Okay, I get it. But angel simply means messenger. And did you know that God wants you to be his messenger for him? He tells you to declare or proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel. So it's important for you to know this story, not just for yourself, or this gospel, this good news, but for you to have it in your heart so much so you can be prophetically used this season for others to share the gospel. Because Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were just people like you and me. They were just following God. God spoke to them. He said, speak it to others. Do you have a heart, a posture when you come to Redemption Church, when you hear these Bible studies, to not only get a word for you, but to say, God, 
what can I learn to pass it on to other people? Our mission is not only to pursue Jesus, but to proclaim him, to be heirs of this good, heralds of this good news, like proclaiming the gospel. And what is interesting about Isaiah, this great prophet that we've been reading about, is we read his calling in Isaiah chapter 6. Before he gets the great prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 or 9.16, or even as his ministry goes on, Isaiah 46, he actually comes and sort of has a, 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 a holy moment with God. God has a call on his life. Um, and he, and the, the presence of God is revealed to him in Isaiah chapter 6. The, the presence of God, and he's just overwhelmed. And he responds by saying he's unworthy. You ever feel unworthy with the gifts and calling that God's given you? He feels unworthy. He literally says, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm imperfect. I'm going to get this wrong. You spoke to me, but how can I speak to other people on your behalf? I have unclean lips. I'm not worthy. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. But Isaiah, although he felt unworthy, when God asked who might be willing to speak, because we know Romans chapter 10 says, how will they know unless there's a preacher and how, unless there's someone sinned? How will someone be sinned unless someone calls them? God calls us to speak. And we feel really unworthy, just like Isaiah. Like, we can't be used. This doesn't make sense. It's terrible. But God asked, who might be willing to speak on my behalf? And his response was this. Here I am. Send me. I find usually those that are used by God in a great, powerful way, it's not their ability. It's their availability. It's not that they're there that great and they think all of themselves, but they're just available to say, well, God, if you want to use me, then use me. I'll be available. You've given me the gospel. You've changed my life. I'm going to, I'm going to want to, to, to make disciples and just speak forth your word. And it was because of Isaiah's willingness and his humility that God used him in such a powerful way that we have this uh, prophet speak chapters upon chapters of God's word that encourages us even today. And it will be the same with you and I. When we have a willing heart, when we walk in humility, we can be used just like these prophets to give encouragement, not only in your generation, but to the next generation, to the legacy, to your children and grandchildren. And we can actually make a difference as we walk in humility because God pours out his grace. And he wants to use all of us for this. It's not based on our strength, but it was based on who God was. And he says, I'll use you. And so God works in this beautiful way through prophecy and the prophets. And this passage of Matthew isn't only prophecy in the Christmas story. It's not the only prophecy in the Christmas story. Now, I'm going to go by this really quick. I have it on the screen. We'll post this uh, on our social media page, the verses, notes, and even an article I wrote about these prophecies. But I thought this would be helpful as we look in the beginning of our Advent series and we start reading through all of these passages of Scripture. It's so hard because we got to like read through all the Scriptures, right? It's amazing. Um, here are eight prophecies fulfilled by the birth of Jesus found in the Christmas story that you are probably already familiar with. There was prophecy that the Messiah, the Son of God, would be born of a woman. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 talk about that, how Jesus fulfilled it. The Messiah was prophesied that uh, he would be from the line of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Galatians 3, 16 give us, gives us this commentary about how this was Jesus. And even Matthew, he actually describes the lineage in verses 1 through 17 of this chapter of Jesus for this reason. There's prophecy that the Messiah would be from the lineage uh, of David. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. 
Paul gives commentary on that. Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. And again, Matthew says David and the lineage of Abraham and David and gives you that. There was prophecy that the Messiah would be born of a virgin to be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. What we read in the story, Matthew chapter 22 and 23, uh, verse 22 and 23. The fifth one is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Did you know that? It's really hard to pick where you're going to be born at, right? But Micah 5.2 tells us that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We read that in Matthew chapter 2 as it describes the birth of Jesus and gives us more details. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be worshipped by wise men and presented gifts. We know that story, right? The wise men, were there three, were there not? I don't know, there were three gifts. Could have been more, could have been less. Fun to study. But did you know Psalm chapter 72, verse 10, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, prophesied that there would be people that would exalt Jesus, bring gifts, gold, fragrance, myrrh, these things. And in Matthew chapter 2, he describes the story taking place in that way. It was prophesied that the Messiah's birthplace would suffer a massacre of infants. You know the story, it's horrific. The king, emperor, would be so bothered that there would be another king, a baby being born, that he would kill all these children to and under, and they would be crying. Matthew chapter 2 describes it, but Isaiah 60, verse 6, prophesies this. Sorry, not Isaiah 6, 60, Jeremiah 31, 15. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be in Egypt for a season. Remember, the wise men gave Jesus those gifts. Herod was trying to kill Jesus. They took flight and went to Egypt. Most scholars and just historians, you think about it, they got the gifts and the resources to actually go to Egypt because they were actually, Mary and Joseph were poor. They couldn't afford an expensive sacrifice. It would be an offering of someone who was poor. So they got these gifts to be able to move, to be safe. And as Jesus grew out in Egypt, it was a prophetic thing. Like from Numbers 24.8, Hosea 11.1, Matthew chapter 2 describes these things. Now, we see Jesus fulfill all these prophecies in the Christmas story. Things that you can't control, like where you'll be born, who your parents are, how that is all that taking place. Why is this important? Well, just to help you and to give you framework, mathematician Dr. Peter Stoner calculated the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. We all know about probability because the Powerball was so high last month, right? I'm not going to say raise your hand of who bought tickets, but I will say I saved my money. I didn't bother. The probability of this happening is way higher. It's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. 17th power means all those zeros. Let me give you a framework. It's an old illustration, but it's the illustration I think still proves to give a visual. The mathematician, he goes on in this article and he says, it's like filling up the state of Texas. I'm going to say Florida because that's where we're from, right? It's about the same thing. It's big. Imagine if you had silver dollars filled up the entire state of Florida two feet high. Someone you don't know marks an X on one of the silver dollars and says, hey, go to the state of Florida and pick out the silver dollar. You only have one time, one effort. Doesn't matter if it's from Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami. You got to go in a heat of two feet of silver dollars and pick out the silver dollar I marked. Good luck, buddy. There's a greater chance of someone doing that than the prophecies fulfilled of what Jesus did by just these eight prophecies. And scripture tells us the math is so hard 
Because there's not only eight prophecies about Jesus, but in his life there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies of how Jesus fulfilled things. And if we don't get this in our brains, Jesus comes on in one of his most famous sermons to actually become a rabbi and to teach us truth. What we read in the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he declares to us he was doing things on purpose. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. We'll get into the law of that verse in the section when we come into Exodus as we're going to study the Ten Commandments. But he didn't come to abolish the prophets. Old Testament is just worthless. Don't even think about it. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus wanted to fulfill the prophets. Jesus lived a perfect life you and I could not live. He pleased the Father. What was his will? To, to, to please the Father. I've done everything you've asked, Father. He would seek the Father's will in such a way to fulfill prophecies spoken about him by the prophets said about the Messiah so that we would know we could put our trust in him. So that we could know we could put our trust in what God has said. So we could trust the word and the living word. It's pretty amazing. Isaiah chapter 53, another prophecy from Isaiah, because we know this child would not just be a child. He would be raised. He would grow up and he would do the Father's will and he would go to the cross. And Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah. And he said, he, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or, or, or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him, right? He wasn't like a Saul, like seven foot and handsome. And he was just a normal guy growing up, dwelt among us. He humbled himself so much, the prophet said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't recognize that he was king, that he was glorious, that he was amazing. But there was a purpose in this. Isaiah says, surely Jesus, he, the Messiah, will, has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The cross was prophetically spoken of. Jesus' life was prophetically spoken. Let us not forget that Jesus lived a perfect, purposeful life. And as we follow him, we have purpose in our life as well. Empowering by the Holy Spirit to do the Father's will and to bring glory to God. Jesus just wasn't a baby, he was a king. And he died and he rose again. And just as how God prophesied the Messiah would come in a specific way as God in flesh, he has prophesied to come back again. And as we take communion, we're reminded of this, aren't we? Do this in remembrance of me of what he has done, but that I am coming back again. Isaiah, another prophecy. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18 through 20. I love this one about the second advent, the coming of Christ. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, 
devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Okay, that's cool. Maybe it just sounds like peace. Doesn't have to be about Jesus, right? Maybe you're stretching things. Well, this sounds like a lot like Revelation and something that hasn't happened. The sun shall be no more. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor by brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord, the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Prophetic message. What is to come, the second advent, the return of Christ. So as we start this Christmas story, let's worship Jesus. Let's remember it's a prophetic story as we come to the text. It was strategic. It was purposeful. God had a great plan. He's sovereign. He was writing it out. God, Emmanuel, came to save us. God with us. He wanted us to trust his word, his living word, Jesus. And so he specifically gives us so much text. And the prophets and prophecy teach us this, that we could trust him. And we can celebrate the first coming, and we can celebrate the second coming. We can tell others, just like these prophets, good news, almost too good to be true. But Isaiah was used because he walked in humility. We'll be used this Christmas season as we walk in humility, trusting everything that God has said prophetically, we can now give to other people. Amen? Let's pray and let's prepare our hearts for communion. God, we thank you so much just for your word. We thank you, God, how you want to speak to us. And you do faithfully through your word, prophetically. And so we just pray, God, as we take time to sing, to think about how you come and adore you. Lord, let us be in awe of you. I pray, God, not only for those in this room, but those listening to this message, that they would surrender their life to you, that they would know that you have a plan and a purpose for, your, for their lives. That, Lord, in our humility, in our surrender, that we would just feel your presence, that we would have our sins forgiven. For Matthew said, you're God with us, and the purpose is for you to forgive sin. And we want to remember that right now as we take communion, that we are nothing. We are not God. There is no one like you. You are God, and we are not, and we need you, God. And so I thank you, Lord, that all the call upon your name shall be saved. May we call upon your name continually. May we put you in the forefront of our minds and worship you in this holiday season. May we not push you out. We thank you, God, that we can celebrate Christmas. Yes, there's the holidays, there's Christmas songs, there's decoration, but Lord, you are the true reason. And so we want to put our attention on you. We want to be on wonder of you. And I pray that through this message and through this Advent Christmas series, we would do so. So we bless your name. We surrender to you once again. And Lord, as we come to you, may we just adore you in worship. It's in your name we pray, God. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.